this week on Hope for the Broken. God cannot deny himself and turn from the promises that he makes. And Christmas is proof that God always keeps his word. Hold on to the promises of God because God has promised us a future. God has promised us ultimate redemption. And listen, he'll make good on it. And no matter how bad it gets, there's always reason for hope. Why? Because God can't deny his promises. We have hope in any and every situation. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community, redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we begin a new sermon series called, Let Earth Receive Her King. During this Advent season, we will look at God's promises to bring peace and joy through the birth of His Son, King Jesus. To kick off this series, here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part one titled, The King Promised. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Micah. We're going to be in Micah chapter five this morning. And if you are new to Bible study, and by the way, it's okay if you are, because everybody's new at Bible study at some point, right? Uh, Micah is in the, towards the end of the Old Testament between the books of Jonah and Nahum towards the end of the Old Testament. And we'll be looking at chapter 5 this morning, specifically zooming in on verses 2 through 5. Today we are launching a new teaching series that we have, inc- we have called Let Earth Receive Her King. It is Christmas time. It is my favorite time of the year. Anybody else say this is your favorite time of the year? Yeah, that's because you love Jesus, right? And uh, it is uh, the best time of the year. But you know, it is also a time of the year where it's easy to get distracted I mean, that we all have parties to be, families to see, dishes to prepare. We have many different traditions that we try to execute this time of year. And it just seems like uh, each and every year that the holidays become more and more rushed. I don't know if that's been your experience, but it certainly is my experience. Uh, but this is my prayer for us, that as we launch this teaching series today, uh, that that over the next few weeks, the familiarity of of, of everything of this, of this season and the events that we have going on, that it would not breed a sense of complacency, but instead that we would leverage this opportunity to renew afresh the reason for the season. We have to focus on Jesus this season and the work that God has done in and through our lives. I, I think the reason why I love this time of year is all the tradition that surrounds Christmas, everything from the hanging of the lights, which I have two teenage boys, and so I just sit back and I bark orders now. It's great. And uh, so, but there's the hanging of the lights, uh, there's all the food, the specialty coffees. I mean, when other time of the year can you get a peppermint latte, right? Like, you could get it in summer, I guess, but it would just be weird, right? And, uh, but, but, but then there's the giving and the receiving of gifts. There's all the family gatherings. Christmas is just filled with so many great things. But make no mistake, Christmas exists for one reason. It's not holiday chair. It's Jesus Christ. And, and so as we take the opportunity, we need to use this season to focus our hearts on the true reason for the season. One of my favorite Christmas traditions is watching Christmas movies. How many of you have certain movies you watch this time of year, right? I I think over Thanksgiving, I saw the movie Elf three times. 
It was like it was on repeat, and I could almost quote it uh, verbatim. Um, how many of you guys are Holly, uh, Hallmark movie watchers? It's okay, fellas. You can, this is a safe place, right? Uh, you, can, you, can, you can admit that. Uh, but I like watching iconic movies this time of year. You know, things like A Christmas Story, right? It's a Wonderful Life, and there's so many others. But there is, what was that? Die Hard. <laughs> I knew it would come out, right? I knew it would come out. Um, but if there was a Christmas movie that I would say you absolutely have to watch, it, it is A Christmas Carol. I mean, you guys know the movie, right? A hard-nosed, Christmas-hating Ebenezer Scrooge is visited by the, the ghost of Christmas past, the gross, ghost of Christmas present, and the ghost of Christmas future if he doesn't change his behavior. But because of that experience, Ebenezer Scrooge changes his behavior, right? And for the remainder of his life, he promises to be a joyful and benevolent person seeking forgiveness. And after that experience, he began treating everyone with kindness and generosity and compassion. Now, while theologically lacking in many areas, it does embody the real Christmas story. God revealing himself to us that we may come to faith in him and that he would give us the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that would then guide us and direct us in how to live lives that honor him, right? Isn't that what Christmas really is all about? And it's only made possible because Jesus was born. But Jesus was born for a very distinct purpose. Jesus was born to die, to take on your sin and mine at the cross of Calvary. And that's what Christmas is really all about. So this morning, we're going to take a look at, in Micah's text, a a promise made, a promised king, and a promised peace. That is where we are going this morning. That will serve as our outline here today. Now, but before we jump in to the first point of our outline, I want to set the stage for us by looking at the background of the prophet Micah's writing. In in chapter 5, verses 2 through 5, by many scholars, have been called the quintessential Christmas verses. That's because as we look back on this passage, we undoubtedly see the tie to mentioning of Jesus and who he is. But when Micah wrote this, and he lived between the years of 550 and 686 BC, there was a lot of international conflict going on. The nation of Assyria was a constant threat to the Israelites. Micah lived through several decades of international unrest. It was a time of war, of injustice, and of much questioning and uncertainty. Yet in the midst of all of that, God spoke through his prophet and reminded his people that there is reason for hope. Even when the chaos surrounding you is overwhelming, there is reason for hope. And that is the point of Micah's revealing here in chapter 5. And you know what? This just might be the message we all need to hear this Christmas. So with that background, let's jump in. The first thing we see is a promise made. God made a promise. And Micah the prophet reminds the people of the promise that he had made. Let's look at it. Verses 2 through 3 of Micah chapter 5. It says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, 
from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. Now, there are a few obvious things that obviously are tied to who Jesus is. We believe Jesus to be the ultimate uh, uh, focus here of this passage, the fulfillment of this passage. And what we just read, we hear the location of the Savior's coming, which is to be in Bethlehem. We also read that the Savior will be a fulfillment of a promise made from of old, from even ancient days. And we also read of how he will come by way of birth. And this mentioning is actually an echo in Scripture that God made from the very beginning of time. And, and I want you to know that through the Bible, there is a central theme. All of the New Testament is building and is revealing and building up until the Savior comes in Jesus. And then all of the New Testament looks back to what we have as a result in Jesus, that we have victory because of Jesus's victory on our behalf upon the cross. And so therefore, all of the Bible has one central theme, and that is that Jesus is Lord. So in Micah's prophecy, we see this very clearly as well. First, let me point them out to you. He says that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. Now, this is significant, and the reason why this is significant is because there are multiple things tied to this one prophecy, that the, that the Savior would be born in Bethlehem, because Bethlehem is the hometown of King David, King David being the anointed, the least likely, but yet the anointed by God, King of Israel, right, who was known to have a, a heart after God's own heart, that was his, his nickname or what he was referred to. And so King David is where the promised uh, Messiah's lineage was to come from. But yet this hometown of Bethlehem is also tied to King David. It is his hometown. And Psalm 89 reveals the promise that God made to David about this very occurrence. In chapter 89 of Psalm verse 3, it reads, You have said, I have made a covenant or a promise with my chosen one, I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Now you take that and you tie that with Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 14, which says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch now, my Bible, notice that branch is capital B. That's because it's referring to a specific person, that person being Jesus. I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for who? For David, out of his line and lineage. And he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. So it is very clear that long before Jesus' arrival, that God was working to wrap multiple promises into the fulfillment of those promises. Micah says, secondly, that the Savior will be born. That is, that he will be born of a woman, be born of a virgin. We know that to be Mary. And in verse 3 of Micah 5, this is what he writes. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Now, when you come to the Gospels, the Gospels are the first four books in the pages of the New Testament. Two of those Gospels have the genealogy of Jesus, Matthew and Luke. 
They contain the genealogy of Jesus. Now, in Matthew's gospel, it traces Jesus' genealogy through Joseph all the way to David, right? Now, Jesus, we know, was not conceived by Joseph, conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so, therefore, he had nothing to do with that because Mary was a virgin. So then, how is the lineage of Jesus from King David if he had no biological ties to Joseph? Well, that's where the Gospel of Luke comes in. In Luke chapter 3, we trace Jesus' ancestry through Mary. Guess what? Mary comes from the line of David as well. And so he is a descendant from the line of David. And him being born in Bethlehem is the collision of Micah's prophecy and God's promise to David wrapped up into one location that he would be born in the line of David. The second thing that we see, we learn in verse 2, is that the Savior's, quote, coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Now, this could be interpreted in a couple of different ways. We could interpret that this means that the Messiah's origin is eternal in nature, meaning that he has no beginning, no end. He's timeless. He is, in fact, God. And I think that that would be an accurate interpretation right? Because that is a true statement of Jesus. We read in the gospel of John, the opening chapter, what? That in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And more than that, the word was God. And then you skip down to verse 14 of John chapter one, and we learn that the word became flesh. And so therefore Jesus is both God and man. And therefore in his divinity, he has always existed into eternity past and will continue to exist into eternity future. So we could read this, whose coming is from of old, from ancient days, as pointing to the eternality of Jesus. But some some scholars believe that it can be interpreted a second way. That that this could be that Micah is not so much talking about the pre-existence of Christ, but that he could be talking about God's faithfulness in keeping a long-held promise. In other words, that the one who is to come, the Messiah, the one to be born in Bethlehem, will fulfill a promise that was made a long time ago in antiquity. Now, I want to talk about Christmas being mentioned in the very beginning. It was actually mentioned in the Garden of Eden. Did you know that? God makes foreshadowing, he makes mention of Christmas from the very beginning of the world, back in the Garden of Eden. We see proof of that. In Genesis chapter 1, God created the heavens and the earth. He creates everything. Genesis chapter 2 zooms in on his most prized creation, that being humanity, that we bear the very image of God. He makes Adam and he makes Eve. Actually, he made Adam and he fashioned Eve, right? That, that says a whole lot about where women come from, right? Like just, they were fashioned, but we were made, right? Uh, they're fashioned, God fashions her. And then in chapter three, we have what is called the fall of man. That being that sin entered the world through Adam and Eve's disobedience to God. Remember, God said you can eat of any, any fruit of the tree of, uh, and, and anything in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can't eat that fruit. But then came along a serpent, a serpent that was, uh, indwelled by Satan himself, and he tempts Eve. And Eve eats of the fruit, and then Eve gives the fruit to Adam. And sin then enters the world. Also in Genesis chapter 3, 
We have at that point Jesus, or not Jesus, God coming walking through the garden in the cool of the day, Scripture says. And he holds Adam responsible. He calls him on the carpet. And God begins to issue curses. In other words, there is consequences to your sin. And he begins to curse Eve. And then he curses Adam. Actually, he curses Adam first and then Eve. And then thirdly, he turns to the serpent. And in the dealing out of the consequences of sin to the serpent, God makes mention of Christmas. I want to read it to you. Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. It says, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, he, being the offspring of the woman, shall bruise your head. Or maybe a more literal translation, should break your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is the mentioning of Christmas. Well, how do you know? Well, Jesus came. He came to do what? He came to die. But in dying, Satan bruised Jesus' heel. Because we know that in raising back from the dead, Jesus delivered a devastating blow, a deathly blow to our enemy, right? And this is being the fulfillment of what is mentioned in the Garden of Eden. See, the point is this, that God made a promise a long time ago, the very beginning of time, and God was telling Micah and telling his people, guess what, I'm going to make good on that very promise. And he did. And the reoccurring mentioning of it all throughout the Old Testament is, guess what that's for? It's to remind the people that they have hope. You always have hope. Why can we have hope? Because God always makes good on his word. God cannot deny himself and turn from the promises that he makes. Therefore, you could take his word to the bank. You can rest on it. You can hang on it. And Christmas is proof that God always keeps his word. Hold on to the promises of God because God has promised us a future. God has promised us ultimate redemption. And listen, he'll make good on it. And no matter how bad it gets, there's always reason for hope. Why? Because God can't deny his promises. He's going to come good, make good on his promises. Therefore, we have hope, beloved, in any and every situation. Because God has promised ultimate victory. So we see a promise made. We see and understand the impact that that means for us today. The second thing that I want us to talk about this morning that we see in Micah chapter 5 is a promised king. The promise was made of a savior, but specifically that the savior would be a king, a ruler. Look again at verse 2 as we see that. It says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah... From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. In other words, a king. Now this has tripped many people up for a long time. If this prophecy is pointing to Jesus, and we ultimately know that it is, then Jesus would have to be a ruler. Jesus would have to be a king. And many Jews have held, because of this very prophecy, have held that the Messiah would be a ruler, a political leader, and as a result, they have rejected Jesus from being the Messiah because he never ruled a nation. So what are we to make of this? Well, it's important to pay attention to the wording of Scripture. 
Because scripture is accurate here. Notice the prepositional phrase, for me. Literally translated, to me. In other words, the ruler that is to come, the Messiah that is to come, will be a representative of the kingdom of God. Jesus has to be the fulfillment of this prophecy because Jesus is a king. He's the king of heaven. And Jesus is king of something much greater than a nation. Why? Because he sits above the rulers of this nation, the rulers of this world, right? He is enthroned. He rules the universe, speaks them into existence with just his very word. Jesus is a king. And we have further proof of this in John chapter 18. When Jesus is arrested, he's standing before Pilate, the governor. And remember, Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? Like, let's just get to the chase, Jesus. Are you a king? You remember what Jesus said? Verse 36, it says, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. See, God promised a king, just not an earthly king. God promised something much greater than an earthly king. Jesus is the king of heaven, and therefore he is the king of all kings. And when we sing at Christmas, let earth receive her king, Jesus is not running for office. He's already king. We just need to receive him as who he truly is by allowing the king of heaven to be the ruler and king of our hearts. Now, the application here is extremely important. Because Jesus can't be king of our hearts and we still occupy the throne. You you understand that, right? Like either Jesus is king of our lives or he is not. Either we are yielded to him or we are not. We are either surrendered to his ways or we are not. There is no neutral ground when it comes to Jesus' kingship. If Jesus is our savior, then he must also be our king. And this, this is so important to realize this time of year, right? He, he's got to be our king. So we've looked at a promise made, a promised king, and the third observation we'll make in the Micah passage is a promised peace. In addition to a promise made and a promised king is God promising peace. Look at verses 4 and 5 of Micah chapter 5. It says, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock, right? Who is the great shepherd? Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, right? And so therefore, fulfilling even this very phrase, in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Jesus brings peace. That is amazing. And and then in Isaiah chapter 9, and Isaiah, by the way, is Micah's uh, contemporary. In Isaiah chapter 9, Jesus is called, the Messiah is called what? The Prince of Peace. And it was at the very first Christmas when Jesus was born that the angels announced to the shepherds in a field, keeping watch over their flocks by night, Luke chapter 2, verse 10. He says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. 
You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, what? Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Christmas is the announcement that not only has God fulfilled his promise of a Messiah, he's fulfilled his promise of peace. He said, wait a minute, Pastor Chris, do you have your head in the sand? Like, can you look around the world? Is it a time of peace? Absolutely not. It's a time of chaos. So how in the world is Christmas a pronouncement of peace? Well, it's peace that comes in a few ways. Number one, first, Christmas brings peace with God. Peace with God. In Romans chapter 8, verse 7, the Bible says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, meaning it is at war with God. It stands opposed to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And Scripture tells us that all of us have sinned, and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. But in our sin, beloved, we stand opposed to a holy and righteous God. We do not have peace with God. But peace with God comes by way of the cross of Jesus Christ who reconciles sinful humanity to a holy God. Which is why God says in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, justified by faith in Jesus as the Lord and Savior of our lives, we have what? Peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we place our faith in Jesus, we are forgiven. And we have been restored a relationship with God, and we enjoy this relationship with a holy God. Christmas brings peace with God. Secondly, Christmas brings peace with others. Not only did Christ come to bring peace with God, but he reconciles us to one another. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 says it this way, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. This is talking about the hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. Jesus has reconciled a people that otherwise were unable to be reconciled. He brings peace with one, one another. Even the most broken of relationships... Even the most hostile of relationships can be restored by the work of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today and Christmas reminds you of all the brokenness in your family. Let me tell you something. God restores peace in your family. Maybe you're here today and you're walking through a a difficult situation where, where there is brokenness that abounds. God, Jesus, brings peace if you will allow him to do that. But there is a third way that Jesus brings peace. It's peace of certainty in the midst of uncertainty. Remember what was going on when Micah 5 was written? It was penned during a time of international turmoil. And can I tell you something? What brought people hope back then still brings us hope today. And that is Phenomenal. Michael lived in a day in which the world was full of international conflict, economic uncertainty, and social challenges. Any of that sound familiar? 
when problems at times seem beyond solution and the potential for anxiety runs high. Listen, you and I can have a peace that passes all understanding. Why is that the case? Because listen, God is on his throne. God is on his throne. God sits enthroned above it all, and he is working to fulfill his promises. Did you know that God promises to take care of us? He says, I want you to consider the birds of the air. I want you to look at the flowers of the field. How much does God take care of those two? How much more will he take care of you and of me? God is also working to to fulfill another promise, the return of Jesus a new heaven and a new earth and the establishment of perfection and living with God forever. God promised peace back then and he delivered Jesus. God promised peace to to us today and he continually delivers. And God promises peace for our future and he will deliver in Jesus. Promise made, promise king, and a promised peace. This is what Christmas is all about. This is why we celebrate this season. And I can think of no better reason to celebrate than the truths of God's Word. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.